0: It was a big weekend in the sports world with more drama in college and pro football, the Ryder Cup, and the end of the MLB regular season. Plus, we have an interview with the composer of some of sports' most iconic theme songs. It's Monday, October 2nd. I'm Eric Fisher, and this is Front Office Sports Today. So I'm here with my newsletter co-author David Rumsey and he was on the ground in Boulder for another big Colorado game and this ended up a lot closer than we thought Uh, USC got up early but uh, the Buffaloes ended up making a a game of it. Uh, What was your sense on the ground there for uh, celebrity madness for uh, the buffs this week.
1: Yeah, definitely. I don't know if everybody showed up that was kind of rumored to, but it was still a star-studded event. T.O. was there. He ran out of the tunnel with the Colorado team. Deion Sanders was doing his thing. And my impression was the Colorado sidelines kind of turned into – place to be seen like uh, the Kentucky Derby or uh, Monaco Grand Prix. Yes, there's a sporting event going on, but it's almost like these former athletes and even Hollywood celebrities just want to be there so the cameras can get a glimpse of them at a Colorado football game.
0: So we talked about this the other day that Colorado's kind of in an, an interesting place. They've already made a quantum leap of progress based of one and 11. And, you know, what Deanne Sanders walked into, but there's still clearly a talent difference between this Buffalo team and the upper echelon of college football. Where Where does this team go now for the rest of the season?
1: Right, so they're three and two. Half their home schedule is done, but they've sold out of every single ticket and suite ticket for the rest of the season. So that's done. You know, I think they're content. They know that next year they're going to bring in probably more players through the transfer portal. Uh, it was after the Oregon loss. You heard Coach Prime saying, "You know, get us now while we're down. This is the lowest that we're ever going to be." And if so far he seems to be right because they played a lot better against USC. Um, So, yeah, I think they're going to try to make a bowl game, right? Imagine Coach Prime in a bowl game, the hype that that would deliver. So there's still plenty to play for this season. Yeah, to that
0: end, it sounds like, you know, six or seven wins and a bowl game is a reasonable expectation. You get that talent infusion that you're talking about. And then, you know, double-digit wins next year seems like a realistic goal.
1: Right. You go into the what's going to be a 16-team Big 12, 12-team uh, 12 expanded college football playoff. Next year could be crazy for many reasons across college football, but uh, certainly with Deion Sanders returning, his son Shador Sanders returning as quarterback, I would expect a better team from Colorado. It, it could get even crazier next year.
0: I want to shift gears from college football to the Ryder Cup, and, and you, you broke down this event and, and and where it's at and where it's going in your weekend feature here, uh, but now the competition is over as we're taping this, uh, a pretty convincing uh, win by the European squad, uh, but it looked like uh, emotions were really getting fired up here. Uh, what was your sense of how this all sort of broke down? Because it seemed like there was a, a lot more going on than just you know the final score on the sheet.
1: Yeah, definitely. We had had a more interesting Sunday than I think expected. The Americans did win more singles points than Europe, but it wasn't enough with that huge deficit after the first two days. But we had a nice little um, sports business kind of controversy uh, on Saturday. A British report came out saying that Patrick Cantlay, one of the American golfers, was not wearing a hat in protest of not being paid for the event. Of course, nobody is paid for the Ryder Cup, even though it does bring in hundreds of millions of dollars in revenue from various sources. And that turned out to not be the case. At least he denied that. Team USA players said there was no friction from Patrick Cantlay, who has been a bit of a controversial player on the PGA Tour when it comes to some of the finances and trying to figure out what's next in the pro golf landscape so that was kind of interesting it fired USA up on Saturday afternoon to win that session 3-1 to and he won his single session if you were watching you saw players like Justin Thomas and Cantley himself uh, not wearing hats um, maybe in a bit of a funny gesture there and uh, giving a little tip of the cap even though they didn't have anything there but uh, you know the writer cup brings out so many emotions in these players and team captains and fans so europe got the job done it's now going to be 34 years uh, at least until the americans can win a Ryder cup on european soil 2027 will be in ireland so that's a long ways from now so is this what rory McIlroy was fired up about or what was his issue yeah. And that was kind of the whole thing uh, on Saturday. Patrick Cantlay was getting jeered by the European fans for this whole potential hat controversy. And then I think, you know, when he won his match there on the 18th green on Saturday, his caddy was really getting into it with some emotions. Rory McElroy thought he was taking it a step too far as McElroy was trying to put it out, finish his last hole of the day. And it turned into this whole thing that spilled over into the parking lot. And, of course, Roy McElroy won his match on Sunday. So everybody, you know, kind of said it was fuel for the fire. And in the end, it didn't really change the outcome of a dominant European performance. And now that we've moved into October,
0: that, of course, means playoff baseball. And we've got our 12-team field now set. And it's really kind of remarkable how the tables have turned across this sport, that a lot of your big market, big dollar teams are not, playing New York Yankees, New York Mets, Chicago Cubs, Boston Red Sox, San Diego Padres, uh, big, big spenders, big markets, not there. And who we do have in are a lot of rebuilding clubs that have gone through a lot of hard times over multiple years, trying to rebuild their rosters, uh, Baltimore Orioles, Texas Rangers, Miami Marlins, uh, arizona diamondbacks and i took a deep look uh in my weekend feature at, at the orioles but you know writ large it just it is just really striking how this league is sort of uh turned over in pretty sh- uh, short order and and really uh uh rewards that uh, scouting development and strong fundamental play with the new rules um you know it's very much a changed game now
1: yeah, it's been a really interesting MLB season, of course, with these rule changes to speed up the game and make the gameplay itself a little bit more exciting. For For all intents and purposes, it seems like that has worked. Let's see what it looks like in the postseason now, see if those games still have that nice pace because we know things get really serious in the postseason and some of those games in past years have been really, really long compared to the you know long games even in, in the regular season. So I'll be interested to see... If that those changes continue here in the postseason and to your point, who's going to get the job done and potentially from the MLB side, what are these ratings going to look like? Is there going to be enough viewers with some of these uh, smaller market clubs in there?
0: Yeah, you you bring up a great point, uh, a couple of great points actually. Now, as it relates to the pitch clock, there was some uh, potential movement and, and push by the players to have a longer pitch clock during the playoffs. That did not turn out to be the case and we'll have the same rules in the postseason. Uh, but relative to the ratings, yeah, it's really sort of a good news, bad news situation that you're probably looking at it at a down market in terms of the ratings. A lot of those big teams, you know, I mentioned the Yankees and the Cubs and the Red Sox, uh, you know, particularly not being there, that's going to hurt viewership. Mets, same thing. Uh, but baseball writ large, again, has got a really great story to tell. That they arguably have the best competitive balance across the league of any major sport, any major league. And again, to have all of these upstart teams coming in. Even though this is going to be probably a short-term hit for now in terms of long-term fan development, you're probably looking at a a really good situation for the league over a longer-term horizon.
1: Yeah, I would agree. I mean, obviously, even in the NFL, they love big markets. But when it comes to the playoffs, a good game is a good game. And I would think that uh, MLB would want to get to that same point where if you have a good game, you have a good game. And that's going to drive some viewership. Well, much more to come on that front, and uh, playoff baseball
0: begins this week. So uh, be watching, and uh, we'll have more on that front. Absolutely. Coming up, we have an interview with Joel Beckerman, composer of some of the most iconic theme songs in sports. Whether it's the NBA playoffs, the Super Bowl, or even a 30 for 30, you've probably heard Beckerman's work. We're going to break down the process of how he makes his music and the impact it's had after this.
2: All right, very excited to be joined by Joel Beckerman, founder of Made Music Studio. Welcome, Joel. Thanks, Owen, thanks for having me. Yeah, great to have you. I'm excited to get into this. So, Your studio has produced some of the more iconic sports themes out there. To start, I want to get a sense of the universe of possible sounds that we might realistically hear in the theme music of a sports broadcaster show. Obviously, you could use anything, but it's not going to be free jazz. It's not going to be kazoo noises. So what are your actual building blocks for these these sports themes?
3: You know, it's interesting. It's, it is actually difficult to say that because it really depends a lot about the show. So there are live programs like the uh, NFL and NBC, which is also for the Super Bowl. And that sort of suggests a certain palette. Uh, you know, we did the music for 30 for 30, which is really documentary television, although has a sports flavor to it. So I think the really the, the best way I can answer that is to say that the palette comes from really the vision of the director and the vision of the producers. So when they talk about you know, kind of their vision, what kind of emotional uh tenor they imagine, what sort of stories they're gonna tell, that's really what suggests the palette.
2: hmm And that gets into what I was gonna ask next, which is yeah, you know, what's step one for uh coming up with a theme?
3: So, um, yeah, listen, sure, uh just like I said before, step one really is kind of understanding that vision and kind of getting a sense of what the palette might be. Um, also it's really kind of what's the point of view? So, uh, the point of view, for instance, for the NFL on NBC, really was about the viewer, really about kind of what's an epic feel, what gets you really excited, like you're making a ham sandwich in the kitchen, and it you know pulls you in. Where the work that we did for uh, the NBA on ESPN is a very different kind of point of view. The point of view was like from the player, what's the pump music, like if the player was going to be. Putting something in, you know, in their headphones to really get them pumped up for the game. What would that sound be? So again, you know, like point of view, I think is a really big thing in addition to the story.
2: And that, that's that's interesting because I mean, it's for the viewer ultimately. But why would you know you or the director say we want this to be from the the athlete's perspective?
3: You know, it really is. Uh, it, When you think about it a lot of times now in, in television, there is something really cool about behind the scenes and also sort of seeing how, you know, how things, uh, kind of, you know, get put together There's a lot of sort of locker room, you know, footage and people kind of, you know, a lot of, you know, you have players now with microphones. So there really is kind of this sense of the player really kind of being at the center with the, the viewers sort of witnessing that, so you know it's not to say that it's some kind of like internal dialogue. There certainly has to be something for the for the audience as well, but it's kind of a differentiator. Uh, you know, I think particularly for this, uh, um, you know, the NBA work that we did for ESPN.
2: Yeah, interesting, and yeah, it is funny that you say that for the NBA one. We'll hear some clips in a moment, and I did. The NBA one to me feels like walk up music, like, you know, you're you see if you're from behind the the player's head and he's walking onto the court. That's the image I got just from the tune. So, yeah, let's get into it, actually. So I wanted to start with the Super Bowl on NBC one. So this is, you know, like America is watching, you know, kind of the most mainstream thing you could possibly think of. Uh, So, yeah, let's hear that clip. I think 90% of our, our listeners just got flashbacks. Um, so uh, w- take us into that a little bit. What's, you know, we've got the the big drums, the dun dun da da dun dun What are we going for here?
3: Well, first of all, I have to say that the original melody was created by John Williams. And, you know, that original melody was kind of designed as sort of like a gladiator theme, which is sort of very stately and very kind of exciting, but literally, you know, gladiators going into the ring and this thing that the shift the change that I was asked to do was to really bring this to kind of a very de- you know deliberately modern world a deliberately kind of epic feel you have the sense of the importance of the game the importance of the moments those you know incredible moments that make or break a career that make or break a coaching uh you know career um, you know so it was really about about that so you know when you start thinking about well what palettes might use in terms of sounds for that. Listen, you know, you you almost can't do something like this. Like you said, super mainstream in the Super Bowl without having horns and, you know, that the horns are kind of like that. That's what you expect um, from a football theme for sure. But that's really, you know, kind of like the given, but I think some of the things that were really unusual from this was the amount of electronics were in there and you may not necessarily hear the electronics, but you sort of feel them. And that's what makes for that, you know, kind of uh, modern, different feel that's, you know, perhaps different than some of the other networks. Um, So, you know, I I think that's a big part of it. And then the rock drums, you know, if you're doing stadium rock, which is essentially what this is, it's kind of modified version of stadium rock. uh, You know, you kind of have to have big drums. The other thing that's kind of interesting was choosing the tempo for this. And when you think about uh, stadium rock, you know, Your favorite, you know, uh, stadium rock song, uh, they're generally at that lower tempos. And the reason is because if you're sort of hearing the music from one side of the stadium to the other, it's about the same amount of time it takes for the sound to bounce from one side of the stadium back. So you need those sort of slow tempos so you can still kind of feel and hear the music yeah well, wow. fascinating for the there's a lot
2: I would love to dive in on that for the horns part has that always been true that you have know, NFL means horns and I don't know like big stately stuff I don't know is is there was there a time before horns here
3: you know i I haven't done my uh, my musical uh, you know uh, <laughs> uh, I guess history or, or research on this um, certainly growing up it's it's always something that I've sort of felt is, is part of the genre. I mean, really when you think about it, uh, I would say football music really is its own genre and, you know, it's sort of in the same way you wouldn't have, um, you know, uh, something, you know, techno music or something without electronics, or you wouldn't have singer songwriters without either piano or guitar. It's just part of that genre that's created. That's really distinctive to the NFL.
2: Yeah. All right. So let's bring in another genre. So that's the NBA on ESPN. Let's listen to that theme. And so you've got some of that stateliness to it. So we've got horns, but definitely a different mood.
3: Yeah. I mean, it really, you know, I was talking about before, it has a lot to do with that sort of point of view of the player, but also there's just something there's a toughness to it. Uh, You know, and I think hip hop sort of, you know, the hip hop flavor sort of brings that to it. I think, you know, if you look at uh, what's happening in in top 40 radio right now, the vast majority of top 40 radio has some kind of hip hop influence. So it's very sort of current, um, but I think also it will probably stand the test of time because I don't think hip hop's going anywhere. Yeah. And yeah, for that
2: one, you could have had someone rapping over that theme. The Super Bowl one, that would be harder.
3: Yeah, it's actually, um, if somebody were to sort of like peruse the uh, internet there actually are a whole bunch of people who did rap over
2: yeah i'm sure yeah i guess <laughs> one of those things where it's like you say it and it's like well yeah of course that's a thing um and uh, while we're on that let's let's do
3: the playoff theme it's similar but has a slightly different feel so let, let's let's yeah, run that one. The, one one thing before we kind of mm-hmm. jump into that um it might be really interesting like right around when this was originally introduced actually DJ Mustard and Tidal sign actually on air uh, did kind of flip their own remix of it kind of at that tempo. Cause it really is sort of like from their world. Uh-huh. So anyway, just to kind of reinforce what you were saying before.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Nice. All right. Let's do the playoff theme. All right. So it's faster, definitely still hip hoppy, still horns. But yeah, what, what changes when you're going to the playoffs? Yeah.
3: Well, um, certainly a lot of things. You know, we were talking about point of view really being from the player. I think here that the point of view is definitely shifted to the audience. There's sort of a sense of anticipation. There's excitement. You know, almost could see like the flashing lights or something in association with this rather than sort of toughness. It's all about, you know, really about energy. It's about anticipation. It's about excitement. And yeah, why can I hear that? Because you say that, I'm like, yes, yes, that's right. I feel like this is more from my
2: perspective. The other one was more, yeah, the player walking onto the court, he's getting ready to like, you know, destroy the other team. What can can you articulate what in the music is making my brain do that?
3: Well, number one is definitely the tempo. So, you know, if you listen to the other one in this one, the tempo is so much faster, which kind of that that immediately, just the tempo, is gonna make a lot of a lot of difference and a lot of change to it also it still has the hip-hop sound you know the sounds are barred from hip-hop but at that tempo really it's not so much hip-hop anymore so it gets to kind of like a little bit more sort of crossover into something that might feel like a speedy remix of something or or again something more like you know pop culture so i think those are probably the two really big things um you know and the, some, some shifting the instrumentation but a lot of the instrumentation if you listen to it is pretty similar. All right, for the um, for the last one, we're
2: shifting gears from you know big game, big hype to sports documentaries. So this is um, thirty for thirty, the Open. So yeah, there's some element of mystery. I don't feel like I'm about to watch a game. It's more like it's, but it's not 60 minutes either. It's um, yeah, it's something in the middle.
3: Yeah, I think you know, one of the challenges on this is trying to essentially anticipate all the stories that they might tell. Um, it's really a lot, you know, like trying to come up with a theme for a movie that is yet to be shot. Uh, you know, it could be like a thousand different movies that they, you know, it could be a very much, you know, more of a heartstring kind of somebody's. Uh, you know rise from modest means to you know being a superstar some of them were you know re- some of them are really about kind of you know really critical moments in sports and kind of unpacking those moments. so thinking about what that theme might be that could kind of cover that entire uh, genre of uh, documentary that that's that was a bit of a challenge,
2: yeah. Yeah, interesting. Um, before we let you go, just uh, I want to ask if there are, um, you know, obviously sports is always shifting, the culture is always changing, people's musical tastes are, you know, evolve. Uh, the culture's musical tastes evolve. Is there anything that you see, either like kind of a new thing happening right now, or just on the horizon, in terms of kind of your world, how how you're kind of making the music of sports, it, or? or or, or yeah, is there new stuff happening?
3: Yeah. I think the main thing is record credibility. You know, again, I think, uh, in the past it was very much like, Oh, it's sports music. Like sports music has a certain thing. And I think now it's sports music, kind of a lot of the same sounds and ideas and, and tempos and stuff, but really trying to create it in a way that it feels like, Oh, that could be a record. That could be something that was, you know, that, that, you know, credibly could be, for instance, wrapped over like, you know, like the NBA theme, you know, so that I think that sense of, of something being real music um, is really what's I think going to carry and uh, carry these things forward and, you know, stand the test of time for these themes, because that's really our job. Our job is to create something that will last hopefully forever, but certainly for a long time.
2: All right. Joel Beckerman, fascinating stuff. Thanks so much for joining us on the show.
3: Thanks Sean.
0: That's all for today. Thanks again to Joel Beckerman for coming on the show, and thank you for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating and review on the podcast platform of your choice.